What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Fast Track, formerly known as Pave the Way Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Helbeck, and on this show, you are gonna learn exactly how to be successful as a real estate investor. It doesn't matter if you're brand new or if you've done dozens and dozens of deals. This is a podcast you're gonna be able to listen to that's gonna give you actionable, specific advice on how to be successful within real estate investing. I'm gonna interview top-notch real estate investors each and every week, and there's also gonna be some content that is just gonna be me telling you exactly about my journey and how I've went from a broke kid starting out to a million-dollar real estate investor. So if you wanna learn how to be successful investing in real estate, this is the show to listen to, and I'm looking forward to being able to serve you at a high level. Hey, what's going on? This is Greg Hellbeck here. And if you're listening to this, odds are you are a real estate investor. And a big question that I always get asked is, Greg, how do you get your deals? So I have the answer to that question. The main way that I get deals, and it's been this way for years, is through direct mail marketing. Now, direct mail marketing is certainly not easy, but if you have direct mail dialed in the right way, it is profitable month after month after month after month. So I'm actually going to give you a free guide, which is my top five direct mail mistakes. So if you want to check out my guide absolutely for free, go to directmailclass.com, put in your name and email, and you will get my guide, which is my top five fatal direct mail mistakes. If you just use that guide alone, it will make you a much better direct mail marketer. So if you want to learn how to optimize and become very successful finding deals through direct mail marketing for your real estate investment company, go to directmailclass.com and get my free guide. Andrew, welcome back to the show. How you doing, man? Good, good. How are you? I'm, I'm glad to be back. I, I know we've done this a few times already. Yeah, for and, sure. And uh, just trying to just trying to spread the tax love and knowledge a little bit. There you go. Well, cool. I got a couple talking points for our show today. You know, as I mean, this will probably Great. air four weeks after we record this, five weeks after we record this. So it'll be somewhat timely. So here's the first yep. question I have for you. And it's this. So a lot of people, when they flip properties, there's two ways that they'll report their income. They'll either report their total sale of the house, let's say 500,000. And then they'll they'll you know take their purchase price and their renovation and all their soft costs, and then the difference will be the profit, right? Which is one way to do it. So you have the revenue and then the cost of goods. The other way that people do it is they'll just report whatever they net. Like let's say they net forty grand, instead of saying they sold the house for five hundred and their cost of goods was four sixty, they'll just say, hey, I made forty thousand dollars on this, and that was my income. So, what what is your thoughts on how to do that? Was there a better way to do it than the other? And what's your thoughts on that? Um, I don't I don't know that there's necessarily a better way. Um, I, for one, usually start with the net profit. Uh, personally. Um, but it does depend on how the deal is reported and what kind of deal it is a little bit also. For example, if there's going to be a 1099S um, generated for the sale of the house, which sometimes there are by the attorneys, and that's basically a form that's reported to the, to the uh, IRS, then we at that point we need to report the full sale price of the house and the expenses. Got it. If there's no if there's no 1099s generated, um, I don't see the harm in just starting with the profit. 
and Got going it. from there. As long as you as long as you properly break it down, we're keeping track of all the the you you have to keep track of the sale price, the purchase price, and all that kind of stuff to yeah. get to your net profit. And as long as we could all sort that out properly, I, I'm usually good just uh, starting with the profit and going from there. Yeah. So just recording the 40 grand and then just keeping it, keeping it that way versus having like the purchase price and you got all the closing costs, settlement statement, this, that it just, cause it becomes an accounting, you know, pain in the ass for the most part. Yep. No, no need to get too complicated unless we have to. Yeah, for sure. I think. So yeah. Cause there, there's people, there's like two, two, two schools of thought to do it. And I, I know people who do part a or theory a, and I know people who do theory B. So it's always interesting to see, like, it's really the same thing. It's like, you know, how are you going to get there? Right. So that's a good starting point. So if you're flipping properties, you know, definitely figure out if your title company or attorney is, is reporting that because it's some some do and some don't. It really depends. I know yes, California is that's pretty, very uh, important to know. Yeah. It's very important to know if that 1099S is gonna be is gonna be generated for the government. And I only say that because we're 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 reporting the profit either way. So it's yes. not like we're not we're not trying to dodge things here. That's not the point. Uh, your income has to be fully reported. No dodging. There's especially in real estate. There's plenty of um, I don't know if I want to call them loopholes or strategies or whatever we want to call them to reduce your taxable income. That there's really no need to try to dodge your income. Yeah, because there's you know so many ways you can offset it with expenses. So why why try to so many so many. Yeah. Well, that brings no, me to the second there's point. So many good. Yeah, so many good ones. So here's here's another thing I hear a lot. I, I want to pay less than taxes. Like, how do I get my tax bill to X, right? And and usually the only way to do that is, well, you have to legitimately have the amount of ex expenses that you're saying. Therefore, you will only yep. pay taxes on the difference. However, yep. you know, a lot of people, including myself, do the cost segregation study, uh, which is basically a way to, like, take a lot of depreciation up front so you can have less tax liability that certain year you, yep. you obviously took the depreciation and purchased the yep. property. So- Really, at the end of the day, like when when do you recommend someone does the cost segs? Because some people it really doesn't make sense to do, and other people it really kind of it, it does benefit them. So there, there's a few things to think about here. First of all, the size of the property will get you uh, will kind of depend on if a cost seg makes sense or not, right? The cost of the property, the amount of units, the the smaller the property, the smaller the cost, the less benefit you'll get from doing the cost seg study. Because you have to remember, they're time consuming a little bit. They're a little costly because even if you're doing one of those DIY cost seg studies, it's still probably at least a thousand or two thousand dollars to do it. So you have to be saving some money, right? Yeah. The big 50, 100 unit apartment buildings will have a lot more benefit than a single or a duplex or a quad, right? Yeah. So generally speaking, purchase okay. higher purchase price, more stuff to segregate there. So that's the that's number one. Number two, to be able to fully take advantage of your real estate losses, you either have to be you or your spouse, if you're married, have to be a real estate professional. By the IRS definition, uh, 750 hours a year, no more than no less than any other thing else you're doing. So probably tough if you have a W-2 job um, or other businesses or anything like that, right? Um, 
and there's there's really a couple ways to to get some good depreciation either um either through uh syndicates do go into syndicate syndicates because they're often doing the cost seg studies or doing the cost segregation studies yourself on your properties yeah just doing it yeah i do the diy ones because they're not big properties and it, it saved i mean it saved me a bunch of money last year like it was where like i ran oh the yeah no 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 yeah for you it definitely makes sense for other people in your position it definitely makes sense um just can, before you do them consult your tax professional to see if they really will help you yeah paying your tax pro a few extra bucks for a consultation could save you money and headaches in the future yeah for sure for sure, for sure. so that's because uh, yeah, if you think about it you buy a rental let's say that rental gives you like three grand a year of depreciation if you did it straight normal way to do it yep but if you could turn that three grand into 12 grand the first 50. year yeah yeah you know that's 12 grand you're not paying in taxes and if it costs you two thousand dollars to 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 save 12 i mean that's a that's a really good 10 that's a 10 to 1 return on whatever you spent you know yes as as long as as long as you qualify to take your real estate losses Yes, you have to be the real estate professional, or else it's just to waste the time. Yes, if you and your spouse both have W two jobs, making a couple hundred thousand a year, it's not likely a good strategy for you. Yeah, that um, makes sense. No, that makes at sense. least one of you has to be considered a real estate professional, according not your own definition, but the IRS definition. Yeah, that's true. So on that note. Now, what this is obviously like, you know, who knows, but there's this thing out there where they're like the IRS hired like 80,000 new agents. Like, do you think it's going to be easier to get audited now? Or is that just the news media trying to get people on their toes? I, I think part of it is just people getting riled up for for not too much. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the 87,000 people is over like a 10 year period or something like that. They didn't hire 87,000 people like last month. It's over 10 years. And they're extremely understaffed already. And that that's if they could find 87,000 qualified people to hire, right? It's not like there's just 87,000 people that are qualified to work for the IRS sitting around doing nothing right now. Yeah, you have to poach and you have to recruit and you have to get someone who's good, like maybe a tax person who, you know what I mean, an attorney. Like, yeah, it's not yep. like you just, yep. hey, Joe, you like numbers? You want to work for the IRS and hose up? Yeah, you know, no, no. Do, do, I, do I think at the end of this, the audit risk might go up minimally? Maybe minimally, but it's so low right now. I don't see them actually hiring 87,000 people just because I think there's a shortage of people to hire as it is. Um, and I don't think they were all auditors anyway. I think I think a lot of them were doing back office and technology type stuff. So yeah. it wasn't even like it was eighty seven thousand auditors. Yeah. And also that being said, uh, the they've been blowing out of proportion that a lot of them are going to be like carrying guns and stuff like that. Uh, there 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 is not going to be an IRS agent showing up at your door with a gun drawn. And unless you were working for like Al Capone or El Chapo or something like that, if you're one year behind on your taxes and owe a couple grand, 
nobody's coming to your house with guns drawn trying to collect that money or anything like that. Yeah. No, Please calm down. Sense. Be realistic. That is not happening. Are they going to try to hire more agents? Yes. Is it going to be as bad as some people are making it out to be? I highly, highly doubt it. Yeah. I highly doubt it. I agree. All right. Now, on that note, you've seen a lot. You've been doing this for a while. Yep. If someone wanted to get audited, what is the top two ways to have the probability of you getting audited be there? Uh, leave stuff off of your return that is clearly reported to the government. Uh, W-2s, 1099s, the 1099-S's we brought up before. Um, any reporting documents that the IRS has, report that. I You have to be reporting all of your income anyway. But the quickest way for the IRS to know something is to leave off one of the documents that they have, right? If they know you uh, did X and you didn't put X in the system, they're like, well, what about You're this getting thing? a letter. You're getting yeah. a letter for sure. Um, and look, you, you're, this is not me condoning leaving off cash income on your return. All income is reportable. Just remember that. That being said, it's – it's harder for them to know about the cash income unless you get audited than it is the income that they already know about. But make sure you're reporting all your income on the on the return and don't get don't get um crazy with your expenses, right? They have to be they they are what they are and they should be defendable. Uh but there are thresholds that would probably cause the IRS to want to take a second look for example i've always heard that uh anyone reporting more than like 10 or more percent of their income as charitable contributions uh risk getting a notice or an audit now i'm not saying that those people are incorrectly reporting their charity they they may 100 percent be reporting it correctly yeah uh that being said that things like that could could uh, bring about a notice. Yeah, that um, makes and sense. also on top of that, high earning businesses, bigger businesses, high earning individuals uh, tend to get audited uh, pretty frequently. Um, some of the top earners that like the IRS might have a field office in Amazon's headquarters and Starbucks. And there's, there's auditors that just deal with making sure everything is properly reported with these big corporations, uh, uh, high income earners, stuff like that, probably have a better chance of getting audited than uh, the smaller income earners. The smaller business smaller. owner, the guy making, you know, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, so that's the thing. Now, now, go ahead. That being said, uh, the risk of an audit is not a good reason to change up your reporting. You're still supposed to report properly your income, your expenses, and things like that. Uh, we're discussing what might be the risk of hearing from the IRS. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So on that note, I know you got to go in a couple minutes. So when it comes to this thing, I see a lot of people online, they're talking about like, instead of paying taxes, they're going to go buy a freaking Cadillac Escalade or something. Can you explain the theory behind that? Because I, I don't understand that. And sure. if I... Listen, sure. if I could pay 60 grand to the government or go buy a, a freaking Range Rover in cash, I'm going to do that. Like, what? what is the whole deal with that? Yeah, so 
uh, keep in mind that the depreciation for vehicles is different than normal depreciation. That being said, if you buy a 6,000-pound vehicle that's used strictly for business, and there has to be a good reason for this, but if if you're buying a 6,000-pound-plus vehicle uh, used strictly for business, you could take accelerated depreciation on that and save a lot of money up front. Uh, that being said, I only suggest doing that if you're really in the market for a new vehicle anyway. And I say that because if you buy a $50,000 vehicle, right, you're not saving $50,000 in tax. You're saving $50,000 in income, which is likely going to save you like anywhere between twelve five and 20000 in tax. So you're so really getting they're, the vehicle they're not, at a discount. Yes, yes. Uh, the government is not reimbursing you for the car through a tax uh, refund. You're just knocking off that off of your income. Yeah, you're knocking the 50 off your income. I see what you're saying. Yeah, you're knocking yeah. the 50 off the income. And, listen, it has to make sense. You have to use it for business. Do not believe every word on TikTok is pertinent to your specific situation. I'm happy that my clients know tax ideas, but it is much easier for us to deal with things ahead of time than it is afterwards. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially so, when they don't have the right information. They're thinking like, yes. oh, yeah, I'm going to save 50 grand in taxes. It's like, no, you'll save no. like 20. So Maybe. if you're in the market to get a car and you want to save 20 grand on the car in theory, yeah, that makes sense. But if you're just tr thinking it's going to wash out your tax balance, it's probably not the case. No, no. Unless it's not a dollar for dollar. It's not a dollar for dollar. Unless like at the end of the day, like let's say you did a million in revenue, 950 in expenses, and you have a $50,000, like, you know, kind of quote unquote profit income. If you took that 50 grand and bought the car, you would get your taxes lowered a little bit, right? Well, yes, yes. You're getting your taxes lowered. Yeah. But you're you're not you're not getting a fifty thousand dollar deduction in your tax. Like you're trying to say, you're getting a fifty thousand dollar deduction in your income. Yes. Income, not your tax. And for that fifty thousand dollar deduction in income, you're saving, let's call it, let's call it uh probably probably seventy five hundred to twenty grand depending yeah. upon your tax rates and everything like that. So here's this question though. So let's say that happens. So let's say someone does a million in revenue, 950 in expenses. Their final yep. expense for the year was a $50,000 Cadillac Escalade, okay? Now their P&L shows a zero. That could be, yep. They're not paying taxes, right? Could be, could be. It, it depends. I, it, That's where it's it like, depends it depends. on your specific yeah. situation, but that scenario can definitely be true. Yeah, you could, you could in theory say, oh, well, the company broke even, this car was a business expense. Yeah. I didn't show any income. But the thing is, even when you do that, then it's harder to get a loan. It's harder to borrow money because on paper, you're not making money, even though you might have taken dividends out or whatever. But it's 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 a slippery slope. Sometimes you do want to show an income because if you show a high income, you can buy more real estate versus if you've been net netting your income out and zeroing it out for five years, you could have been, yeah, doing a lot of revenue. But if the bank sees for five years, you've like gotten a refund from the government. They're like, 
well, the guy looks good. He drives a nice car, but he doesn't make any money on paper. And then it's hard to get a mortgage, right? So it's like kind of like That's a double That's the realistic story. side of things there. Uh, there's the tax side of things. And then there's the realistic business side of things also. Yeah. And it, it usually doesn't make sense to run your business to save taxes. It makes sense to run your business to make a profit. Yes. Then we do after that, or maybe not even profit, but let's let's call it cash flow. Yes. The purpose of your running your business is to make cash flow. Yes. After that, then we discuss how we could save you in taxes. Yes. That's the way now, to go. Ask us questions, get in touch with your accountant. Don't do anything crazy before talking to your accountant. That being said, your business decisions should be cash flow motivated and not tax savings motivated because the tax savings motivation is just a small piece. It's just a small piece. You should be paying as much as you need to, not zero. If that, because if, if your goal is to buy more properties via financing and you're optimizing for tax savings, you're not going to have a good chance of buying those properties because no one's going to give you a loan if they're going off of your income, right? If you're buying a yep. DSCR loan, it's different, but yeah, there's just so many things with taxes that 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 people have questions about. So I think we covered a lot of pillars today on the podcast. So Andrew, I mean, if people are, I mean, you're you do do you do stuff only in the Northeast, or you deal with clients out of state? No, I I have clients all over the country. Um, most of my clients, I would say, are in the Northeast, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, Pennsylvania. That being said, I have clients in different states throughout the country. Um, so if you have a situation that you think you need help on, I can probably help you. And if I can't help you, I probably know who can help you. That's awesome. So if people want to get in touch with you, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, my website is www.andrew-cpa.com. Okay. My, my number is 973-879-9111. And my email address is akabachnik at gmail.com. Uh, hopefully my, hopefully my name will be linked here with the podcast so that you can. Yeah, it'll be in the notes. It'll be um, in the notes. It's my first initial and last name at gmail.com. You could easily reach out to me and. Uh, if you can't find a way to get get in touch with me, reach out to Greg. He knows where to find me. Exactly. Um, Perfect. So we're here to help. That's the goal. I, I just wanted to give you a couple little tidbits to get your mind uh, racing and knowing that uh, taxes are important. They sh The tax perspective shouldn't be making your decision for you necessarily, but they're very important to consider. 100% andrew-cpa.com that's the yep, best easy that's an easy peasy domain name yep. andrew-cpa.com we'll yep. put all that stuff in the show notes andrew i appreciate you taking the 20 minutes out to chat with us today and we'll talk with you soon all right have fun everybody take care are you a real estate investor who wants to get to the next level well my name is greg Hellback, and over the last five years i have bought and sold well over 125 houses and i have learned a ton of of stuff and I've made a lot of mistakes and hopefully as they say a wise man learns from someone else's mistakes so if you are a real estate investor and you want to learn how to get to the next level you might be a good fit for my coaching program so if you're interested in finding out if my coaching program could be a fit for you head over to bookacallwithgreg.com on that website you're gonna be able to simply book a call with me absolutely free for 15 minutes and I'm basically gonna see how I can best help you, right? I'm not gonna high pressure sell you. 
It's gonna be none of that whatsoever. It's gonna be a very helpful call. We're gonna have a 15 minute conversation. I'm gonna ask you some questions about where you're at and where you wanna get to. And if you think it's a fit to potentially work with me as a coaching client, I'd love to offer the opportunity to work with you. And if it's not a fit for some reason, no big deal. That 15 minute call is gonna be super, super helpful. I'm gonna give you some good pointers so I can help you you know, get your business to the next level. There's two types of people I work with. The first person is the person who's brand new. They might not have ever done a deal before, and they really want to learn step-by-step how they can get their first deal, right? That's the first person. The second person I work with is someone who might have done some deals. Maybe they have you know, a deal every other month coming in, or they just have inconsistent income, and they really want to learn sales and marketing strategies so they can consistently get two, three, four, five deals a month in a formulaic way. So those are the two people I work with. If that sounds like you, I'd love to hop on the phone with you for 15 minutes, see if you're a good fit for our coaching program. Go to bookacallwithgreg.com and sign up for a free consultation today. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Real Estate Investing Fast Track. I hope you got a lot of value from this specific episode, and there are a few takeaways that you're able to gather from this to implement in your business so you can be a more successful real estate investor. So if you did get value from the show, if you could do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes, it would really mean a lot to me. That's how we keep growing the show and getting great guests is because people see the reviews, they see that we have a high quality show, and they want to contribute as a guest. So that would be great. Also, if you got value, if you could share the show on social media, that would be great because that is how people see this besides the reviews. So once again, if you did get value, if you could do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes and share the show on social media, it would really mean a lot to me and I'll see you on the next episode.